Good morning. Hey, welcome to Good News Church. It's so great to see all of you here this morning. My name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus. And I just want to welcome each of you to our worship this morning. So glad that you're here. Listen, if you're new, I would love for you to grab a Connect card from the seat back in front of you and just take a moment, fill that out this morning. And listen, before you leave, leave it in one of the boxes in the back of the auditorium. We would love to know that you are here with us. Didn't the worship team do great this morning? I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for Dylan and his team. And I want to invite each of you to come on Friday night for a worship night where we'll get to enjoy being together and singing about Jesus, and making a big deal about him. So come on Friday night. Uh, it will be here in the auditorium uh, from 6.30 to 8. So please, please, please take advantage of that. Uh, so grateful for Dylan and his team. And then next uh, Sunday is a fun Sunday to invite your friends. We will have our back to school bash. There's going to be some uh, fun things to do on campus after the worship service. So invite you to invite and come back next week for our back to school uh, bash. So we're in the midst of a series on 2 Timothy, and there's a new study out. You ever wish that, that there was a way that you could just follow Jesus throughout the week? That it was more than just Sunday morning? You ever wish that maybe there was something that could help guide you into reading Scripture day after day? Or maybe something that would help you and your friends as you gather every week in small group to have a meaningful discussion about Jesus and what he's been teaching you in your life? Well, there is something just like that, and it's called the study, and you'll find it on your seats, and I'd invite you to grab that, and uh, there's a place in there for you to take some notes this morning as we study 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and we started our time in this passage last week, and I'd invite you to turn there again as we give attention to the reading of God's word. And we should, because this is God's word to us. It's inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. 
Dad, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and have revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. Father, I pray this morning that you would open deaf ears and soften hard hearts and give each of us the ability to understand and apply this, your word, to our lives so that in hearing your word and the good news of the gospel, we might be able to grow in faithfulness to our Savior, Jesus. And Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and, and we confess again that we need grace. We need grace because we have bodies that are broken and, and relationships that are torn and friendships that aren't what we wish they could be. And Lord, I pray that your grace would meet us. Lord, we have families where we have loved ones who we long to see come to faith in Christ, and, and I pray that your grace would move in. And Lord, there are some, maybe even this morning here, that you'll work in their lives this morning to give them an understanding of grace. Oh, Jesus, may your Holy Spirit run through this place. And then may the gospel continue to bear fruit and increase just as it's doing around the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started a series on this passage that I just read, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. And, and what I told you last week is that we're going to be looking at the same point throughout the message. And that point is this, that Jesus invites us to make disciples together. That Jesus has a plan for his church. His, his plan for his church is that we together would make disciples. We saw last week that if we're going to make disciples, Jesus style, then, then we need to understand and respond to his grace that it's grace that moves in and makes it possible for us to, to be forgiven, to become a part of God's forever family, to see Jesus begin to transform areas of our lives that up to this point we've been only living the self-directed life and now we learn to live the Christ-directed life, that we begin to let him direct all our decisions and actions. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to be learning together what it means to grow in grace, what we would depend on grace for, and the kinds of people that we would look for to invest in as disciples of Jesus. And that issue of selection is so important. The church in America and maybe around the world for the last 50 or so years has been invested in a philosophy of ministry that counted on the fact that many, many, many people were going to find their way into the church and that as people were, were, began to attend a local church that then they would be connected in the body, they would begin to serve and that a few of them would go to the nations. That's been the philosophy of ministry that, that has dominated the church over the past 50 years or so. 
It's the philosophy of ministry that I learned, and it's what I've been devoted to for much of my ministry within the church. But as I look at the life of Jesus, I see that Jesus had a different strategy. Jesus had a strategy that didn't begin with the many and then send the few. Jesus had a strategy that flipped the funnel and he started with a few, just three. And then 12, then 70, then 500. Jesus started with a few and sent many. Robert Coleman, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, looks at the life of Jesus, and he begins with this paragraph in chapter 1. It all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction his evangelistic strategy would take. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather these men before he ever organized an evangelistic campaign or even preached a sermon in public. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. So if the few were Jesus's myth, was, was Jesus' method, if Jesus started with a few to impact the multitudes, then, then we can, we can follow Jesus' model and start with a few in our own lives, even if a few is just one. So how should we select these few? How should we select the few that, that are to be invested in? Well, there's the grace factor, and the grace factor is this, that God's plan and intention for the people that he would choose for us to, be in, to, to invest in would be very, very different than the people that we might choose to invest in. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we read this, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I told you last week that how important it is to go to God in prayer and to say, God, give me a man or give me a woman that I can win to faith in Christ. As you look to Jesus to answer that prayer, don't be surprised by the grace factor. That the people that God might choose to give you may not be the most popular or, or the sharpest. He chooses to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chooses to work in the most unlikely people to glorify himself and his grace. So in selecting a few to invest in, we affirm the grace factor, that God might choose to work in the most unlikely of candidates. And I am so glad, because it means that I'm qualified, that I get to be a part of God's family, that, that I get to be on his team, I still pinch myself. 
God didn't choose the, the sharpest when he chose me. And God may not choose the sharpest in your life either. That's the grace factor. But then there's the wisdom factor. And the wisdom factor is that Jesus did teach us in our selection to trust him and to follow him and that it's wise to invest only in those that he gives. So in Matthew chapter 7, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's the wisdom factor. That if people aren't after more with Jesus, then we don't continue to pursue and pursue and pursue, but we trust Jesus, that he's going to provide by his grace just what we need. And as he provides grace, we trust in his wisdom. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at an acrostic that maybe many of you have heard before that helps guide us in our selection of a few. And that acrostic is faithful, available, and trainable. So this week, we're going to look at the issue of faithfulness. And then in the next two weeks, we'll look at being available and being trainable. Now, look at verse 2 you'll see that where we get the idea of faithfulness. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to train or teach others also. So that word faithful is from the word pistis, and it means reliable, trustworthy, or stable. Now, in the passage, Paul goes on and he gives Timothy three illustrations that we can learn from to understand what we mean by faithfulness, what we mean by faithfulness. So let's consider the soldier. The soldier teaches us about faithfulness. He teaches us that we're faithful to a person. We're faithful to a person. Not a party, not a philosophy. We're faithful to a person. And who is that person? It's the King Jesus. You see, Paul is in a dungeon. Paul is in prison in Rome. And, and he's anticipating very, very soon he will be killed for his faith in King Jesus. And in his prison, he's surrounded by soldiers. And those soldiers, he's learned a lot from them about faithfulness. Because those soldiers, those soldiers, each of them took a loyalty oath to Caesar. Each of them took a loyalty oath to Caesar, to serve Caesar. And at their own peril, they would be faithful to the command of Caesar. And if they ever failed, by losing in battle, by allowing a prisoner to escape, by being unfaithful to their promise, then they would give up their lives. But our king, King Jesus, he's so much better than Caesar. 
Because long before we ever considered our own faithfulness, Jesus Christ demonstrated his faithfulness. And when we had rejected him and turned our back to him and sinned against him time after time after time, he died for us. Caesar enlists his soldiers to die for him, but King Jesus dies for us so that we could be enlisted into his kingdom, brought into his and under his authority. There's no one like King Jesus. And the soldier teaches us that our King Jesus enlists us into his service, and so we're faithful to a person, Jesus Christ. The athlete, the athlete teaches us that we are faithful, we're faithful by following the pattern established by the word of God. The athlete, as he competes, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. According to the rules. How's your team doing? Have you lost any players to injury already in the preseason? Have you had any players suspended for cheating by betting on sports or using performing-enhancing drugs? See, all of life illustrates biblical truth and and we see in our world that there are some who choose to compete by breaking the rules and jesus says that that we compete according to the rules and where do we discover the rules we discover the rules in his word and so the athlete teaches us that our faithfulness is not based upon our feelings and it's not based on what the culture says is good and true and beautiful, but it's based upon what God's word says is good and true and beautiful. And that our faithfulness is not only to a person, but our faithfulness is to the pattern of teaching that he has given us in his word. And that's just what Jesus said. In John 14, verse 21, we read this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So we're faithful to a person, Jesus Christ, and we're faithful to the pattern that he's given us in the word. So we put ourselves under the authority of the word of God and we allow it to direct all our decisions and actions. Why? Because Jesus is our king. So we've learned. We've learned the person. We've learned the pattern. What do we learn from the farmer? Well, the farmer teaches us that like all virtues in the Christian life, like all virtues in the Christian life, to grow in faithfulness requires work. Like all virtues in the Christian life, we have to work. The farmer, the hard-working farmer, ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. Now, what is it that enables us to work hard? Well, 
We learned last week that it's the grace of God in Christ that enables us to work. Paul said the exact same thing. He says, I worked harder than all the rest. But it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God at work in me. That when we work hard, we work hard according to the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. But it does take work to grow. It does take work to grow in faithfulness. And so this week, what I'm inviting us all to, including me, is that we would, like the hardworking farmer, we would cultivate faithfulness. We would cultivate faithfulness. Now, you need to know that the only way that any of us will ever be able to cultivate faithfulness is if we know and are following the faithful one. That there's only one faithful one, and his name is Jesus. And that if any of us are ever going to make progress in our own faithfulness, we have to know and be following the faithful one, Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible, the Bible tells us the bad news, and the bad news of the gospel is that none of us are faithful. Now, let me show you that from Psalm 78, because we're, we're so prone to, to just compare ourselves with others, and we say, well, look, I'm not faithful, but at least I'm more faithful than the other person. So look, Psalm 78 Verses 8 and 37, do not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. For their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful to his covenant. Now what's true of Israel in Psalm 78 is true of all of us true of me. I mean, listen, have you ever once in everything, listen, have you in everything put God first? Has there ever been one day in your life where, where you've put God first in everything? It's not true of me. I'm in big trouble. How about you? I mean, listen, have you ever told a lie? I have. Haven't you? That means that not only are we unfaithful to God by not putting him first, we also lie about it. We're in big trouble. We haven't been faithful. We've borne false witness. We haven't put God first in all things. And, and that's only two out of the Ten Commandments. And, and there's so many other ways that we've demonstrated that just like Israel and just like me, we're not faithful to God. But there is one faithful person. His name is Jesus. And Hebrews 3.2 says that he was faithful to him in everything. That Jesus Christ was faithful to his father in obedience. All through his life, he put the father first. He said, I only do what's pleasing to him. He was faithful for us. And then on the cross... On the cross, he was faithful. 
as our Savior. Jesus Christ was faithful as our Savior, and on the cross, he bore the penalty due us for our unfaithfulness. The faithful one was treated as if he had been unfaithful, so that those who are unfaithful could receive and be credited with his perfect obedience to the Father in everything. That's the, that's the good news of the gospel, that unfaithful people could be credited with faithfulness because our unfaithfulness was put on Jesus and he was punished in our place. Do you know the faithful one? Listen, are you counting on his faithfulness or are you still counting on your own? Start with his. And when he moves in, when he moves in, he enables us to become faithful. So how do you get started? Well, we love to tell you it's as simple as ABC, that we admit, Jesus, I'm not the faithful one. But Jesus, I believe, I believe that you are the faithful one and, and that you can move in as Savior and Lord and that as King of Kings, you can make me faithful. You were treated as I should have been, as the unfaithful one, so that I could be received as if I had been faithful. Thank you. Now, move in, Jesus. Help me to become the faithful person that you planned and desired for me to be. Listen, if you've never made that commitment to Jesus as the faithful one in your life, won't you today? And if you are, or if you have, then you're a Christian, and that means that you can grow in faithfulness. That you can cultivate faithfulness in your life. So let me help you with that. If we're to cultivate faithfulness, a place to start is by saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to cultivate faithfulness in me. Ask him. Do you need to grow in faithfulness? Ask Jesus to give that to you by grace. And then seek faithfulness. How? Well, here's an idea. No more dividing up your life into compartments and thinking, well, I can be faithful to Jesus in this compartment, the spiritual compartment of my life. I'll be faithful to you here, Jesus, but this is, this is my department, and this is my business department, this is my vacation department. I'm faithful to you over here, but listen, the rest of this is mine. That will not enable you to cultivate faithfulness in all of life. I mean, imagine, imagine if, if it's the day before my wedding, and I go to my wife and I say, I am looking forward to our wedding. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Our friends are all going to be here. And we're going to eat and we're going to dance and it's going to be wonderful. You're going to look so pretty. But listen, don't expect, don't expect that, that I'm going to be faithful in our marriage. I'm really just committed to the wedding. The marriage, now that's something completely different. Now, what advice would you give to my wife? Don't marry that joker. 
You cannot cultivate faithfulness to Jesus by compartmentalizing your life and saying, I'll give you this, but the rest is mine. You may grow in faithfulness over time, but only as you allow Jesus to take first place in your life and to take possession of the throne room of your life and let him begin to direct all your decisions and actions, not just a few of them. Now, second, the cousin to that principle is the idea of starting with little acts of faithfulness to grow stronger and stronger and cultivating faithfulness in all of life. That's the cousin. And Jesus said this, Jesus said this in Luke 16, verse 10. In Luke 16, 10, Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who's unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. So Jesus says, listen, give me all of your life and then begin to cultivate faithfulness by being faithful first in small things and then growing your faithfulness muscle over time by grace. And here's one final thing to remember. Never, ever, ever forget that at the end of the day, it's not your faithfulness, but his faithfulness that will carry the day. Faithful is he who called you, and he will bring it to pass. So let's cultivate faithfulness by grace. And then, as we cultivate faithfulness by grace, let's be on the lookout for people who are beginning to grow in faithfulness by grace, and let's come alongside them and invite them to take a step deeper in following Christ with us. Robert Coleman, at the end of his chapter on selection, ends with these words. Here is where we must begin, just like Jesus. It will be slow, tedious, painful, and probably unnoticed by people at first. But the end result will be glorious, even if we don't live to see it. Seen this way, though it becomes a big decision in the ministry, we must decide where we want our ministry to count, in the momentary applause of popular recognition or in the reproduction of our lives in a few chosen people who will carry on our work after we have gone. The older I get, the more I want my life and ministry to count. And so I hear Jesus' invitation, don't you? To invest in a few. Who? Those who are faithful by grace. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the faithful one. You're the faithful one who can make us faithful. 
You're the faithful king who, who has fought against all of our enemies. You're the faithful prophet who has spoken God's word to us. You're the faithful priest who gave your life a ransom for many. Thank you. Jesus, I pray that your faithfulness, your faithfulness, that good news of the gospel would, would ring in every ear and that you would rule on every heart here this morning. And if Jesus Christ isn't reigning and ruling in your heart this morning, then won't you let him in? Won't you say to him now, Jesus, I admit that I haven't been faithful to you. And I'm sorry. But Jesus, I believe you have been faithful. You lived the life I should have lived. You died the death I deserve to die. You rose from the dead and you reign and rule forever now as king. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. And Jesus, all of us would say today, if we know you, we would say to you today, Jesus, help us to grow and cultivate faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you would help us be faithful to your person. That you would help us be faithful to the pattern of living you've shown us in your word. And Jesus, I pray that you would make us faithful as we pursue faithfulness, cultivating faithfulness to you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.